All right, let's dive into the word. We're going to learn how to stretch this morning. Uh, Genesis 26, beginning at verse 1. Dakota, so good to see you, girl. I know it's a stretch for you to be here. I know it's a stretch for you to be here. But thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Genesis chapter 26, beginning at verse 1, we're reading from the message paraphrase. The scripture declares there was a famine in the land. Notice, and this famine was as bad as the famine during the time of Abraham. That means this is the second famine that this family, that these people, that this nation had experienced. This famine was just as severe as the previous one during the time of Abraham. And notice Isaac's response. Notice Isaac's response in the time of famine. The scripture says, and Isaac went down to Abimelech, <laughs> king of the Philistines in Gerar. <laughs> this is what I know about trouble. Trouble will always reveal where you've put your trust. <laughs> When you find yourself in a tight spot, the person you call, the person you look to, the person you trust the most often reveals where you've put your faith and where you've put your confidence. And in a time of famine, a man who had a promise from God and a covenant from God, the very son of Abraham, instead of turning vertically to God, went to the king. I want you to ponder that for a second. In your famine, where do you turn? Is God your last resort or is prayer your first response? Because in the severe famine, if you're going to stretch, now I'm talking to people who want to stretch. I'm talking about people who rely on more than their ability. I'm talking about people who rely on more than their bank account. I'm talking about people who have learned that in crunch time, you, have, you need to have something more than just your finite ability to lean on. You need more than just your relationships and your friendships and your contacts. Because in this famine, even knowing the king ain't going to help you out of it. I, I'm telling you now, where God is taking you and where God is taking us will require implicit trust in a God sometimes we cannot see or feel. Who's your Abimelech? Okay, uh, let's continue reading the text. Verse 2. <laughs> God is so gracious that while Isaac is having this conversation with Abimelech, God shows up and interrupts the conversation because Isaac is about to make a really bad decision. Notice what God says. I'm talking about stretch. Somebody say stretch. stretch. I'm talking about how you and I can stretch to lay hold of what God has for us. In the midst of the famine, don't turn to Abimelech. Listen for what God will say. 
in the midst of your famine. Because there are things that we have been conditioned to do instinctively and we run to it every time. And because we run to what we know, we never see the hand of God. We go back to grandma who somehow managed to save up all her money. And even though she was part of the World War II generation, still got money. House paid off. And when life gets tough, we call Big Mama. And we never see the hand of God because we all turn first to our personal Abimelechs. And God is so merciful that he intervenes and he interrupts the conversation. And listen to what God says. God says, don't go down to Egypt. Stay right where I tell you to stay. Let me tell you why this is significant. Because in the first famine, Abraham, Isaac's father, went down to Egypt. The reason it's significant is because Isaac was with his father Abraham during the first famine. And Isaac knew that his father's response in the first famine was to go down to Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey. Why not go down to Egypt? It's flourishing. It's prosperous. Daddy did it. And we were all right. Can I tell you that the greatest enemy to your stretch, that sometimes the greatest enemy to your destiny could be your history? I know I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting right now. There is a reason that God says to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. Don't do what your daddy did. Don't do what your instincts are telling you. I know there is a famine right here. I know that all around you there is drought, but don't. Don't look to what I did yesterday. Trust what I'm doing right now. Say, don't go down to Egypt. Stay where I tell you. Don't quit that job that is going to pay you more, but you have no idea that when you get there, it will be nothing but hell. It looks like famine where I got you right now. But there are things in Egypt that you cannot discern or perceive. Stay right where I tell you to stay. Notice what he told him to do. I'm talking about learning how to stretch. He told him, stay right here in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. Hold up now. God, you, you really mean you can bless me in a famine? You, you, you really mean to tell me now that if I stay right here where there is nothing but dry, barren, arid land, there is nothing green that I can see for miles. People are leaving Gerard by the droves. Yet God says, stay right here. Uh, listen, listen, in your season of stretching, resist the temptation to do what worked the last time or what's working for everybody else. 
I don't know about you, but as I'm reading the story, I'm putting myself in Isaac's shoes. And one of the hardest things to do is to stay put in a famine when all your friends leaving, when there's nobody in the houses around you, and you have an instruction from God that says, stay right here, and I will bless you. Listen in your season of stretching. Listen for what God will say, regardless of what you can or cannot see. God says, stay here, and I'm going to bless you. And all Isaac sees is nothing but dry, parched, dying land. Hmm. I wish I could give you a peek into the mind of Pastor Ray. I wish I could share with you some of the conversations that even well-meaning people have shared with me. Amen. You just need to throw in the towel, dog. All these big churches that are trying to hire you, man. If I were you, I'd jump on it, player. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> in your famine, <laughs> resist the urge to follow what's working for everybody else or what worked for you the last time. The S of stretch is listen for what God will say. And if God says stay in Gerar, you better stay in Gerar. Regardless of how many people are moving out and regardless of how severe the famine appears to be, he told Isaac, I will be with you. And I will bless you. Oh, Lord. Can I get through this message? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me tell you why this is critical now. Because when God calls you, you, you can't stretch if you're rigid. Hmm? You've got to be pliable. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be willing to hear an instruction that may even seem illogical. That's what Isaac is about to do. God is giving him an illogical instruction because great leaders and great men of faith are flexible, not rigid. They are pliable, not unyielding. He said, Pastor Real, what are you talking about? Let me read this text to you. Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. Do you have that in your notes? Matthew 13, 52. I don't think you have it in your notes. Let me just read it to you. These are the words of Jesus from the message translation, Matthew 13, 52, from the message. He says, then you see how every student who is well-trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. I hope you all see what the text says. Most of us only have one thing we know. And Abraham Maslow, the father of modern psychology, said, if all you have in your hand is a hammer, everything going to look like a nail. And the reason most of us falter in our famine is because we are not flexible enough. 
and everything that is rigid breaks. In the midst of your famine, what has God said? <laughs> Why is that important? It's important because of the T. The T of stretch is whose voice will you trust? In the midst of the famine. Notice verse number six. It says, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Simple obedience always causes us to intersect the blessing of God. He had an option to listen to Abimelech. He had an option to listen to everybody that was leaving. But the Bible says, so Isaac stayed in the place of famine because God said stay. Jim Rohn said that you and I are the average of the five people we spend time with the most. In your famine, sometimes you got to clear the room. I'm telling you, there are certain people that are in your life that you can't bring with you into your famine. Because you and I are not only the average of the five people we spend the most time with, but we are the sum total of the voices we've chosen to trust over the course of our lifetime. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 10 says, There are many voices in the world, none without significance. That means there are voices pulling on your attention, voices pulling at your heart, and every voice carries a certain amount of weight and significance. So when you're in your famine, sometimes you have to isolate. Y'all not helping me preach this the way I want to. Most of us, when we go through our famine, want to draw a crowd. And there are times when God will take you through a famine to insulate you, not necessarily to isolate you. He's protecting you from voices that have significance that will deter you, distract you, and discourage you. Y'all not listening to what I'm saying. This is not the time to attract a crowd. Let me tell you what the Bible says about crowds. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He's talking, in fact, David starts the entire book of Psalms by talking about relationships. There are certain people you can't bring with you into the famine. First Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I'm teaching you the Bible now. I ain't making this up. Isaac obeyed God. Let me fast forward because I'm going to let y'all go. Believe it or not, I'm going to let y'all go early <laughs> today. It is a season of miracles. It is a season of miracles. I'm going to let y'all go early. Man, that was something I was going to say. Uh, that was something I was going to say, but it just escaped me. And you are grateful for that. <laughs> Number three. We're working through an acrostic for stretch. All right? The S is what? 
Listen to what God said. The T is whose voice will you trust? The R, come on somebody. This is where I'm going to break it down for you and wrap it up. The R is simply this. <laughs> In my famine, not only do I listen to God's voice, not only do I decipher who I'm going to trust, but I've got to ask myself, what is my daily routine? <laughs> For those of you who did not know, there are certain routines and habits and disciplines you must incorporate in your season of famine. <laughs> Let me tell you what they are. Can I tell you what they are? Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It said, Isaac planted crops in that land. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Isaac planted crops in that land and received a huge harvest. Now, let me tell you about those of us who are charismatic in our theology. We love the huge harvest part. We love the return part. But what we don't consider is the fact that Isaac had to go out there every day and do something that made absolutely no sense. He had to take a shovel and he had to, number one, break up fallow ground. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of a famine, but that soil, ain't, some of that soil is almost as hard as concrete. In your famine, you're going to have to do some work. Every single day, God said, I'm going to bless you. What God did not say is, I'm going to do the work for you. Isaac now, by faith, based on the word he received from God, has to now do things that the conditions don't even support. What kind of dummy is out there digging in the midst of a famine? Again, for the few neighbors who stayed, there were people through the window. What's he doing? He's digging. What? Why? He said God told him to stay. And start a farm. There are people. <laughs> let me stop. I want to let you into my head. <laughs> but I can't. Break up the fallow ground. In your life. The word fallow is just an old English word that just means uncultivated ground. There's a scripture in Proverbs 13 that says much bread. It's in the fallow ground of the poor. I want you to hear that now. You know what that means? Show me a poor man, and I will show you a man who is sitting on fallow ground. The uncultivated ground of his life. Notice what Solomon said. He said, much bread is in the uncultivated ground of the poor. That means the poor man owns it but he doesn't have the discipline to develop it. 
Y'all ain't helping me preach this, eh? It's in the Bible. It's possible for someone to live and die and have uncultivated potential in them and die poor and die unfulfilled. And so in your famine, the first instruction is that Isaac planted crops. Before you can plant something, you got to dig. And if he received a large harvest, that means he didn't just have a backyard garden. Can you imagine this guy out there digging in a famine? Acre after acre after acre after acre in a famine. What's your daily routine? What you digging up? What are the dry, barren, arid things in your life that you're digging up? The second thing he did was he had to sow. He had to plant the seed. <laughs> Let me talk to you about your seed for two seconds. <clears throat> and this is the part of the service where usually people pick up stones. <laughs> when you mention anything about money. But I, I ain't even talking about just money. I'm just talking about the totality of your life. Because everything God gives us, he gives us in seed form. Our time is a seed. Hmm? Our talent is a seed. Just because you were born with the ability to sing doesn't mean that you become a virtuoso. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Michael Jordan was cut from his middle high school team. He had to develop that natural ability. He had to invest his time to develop his talent and that determined his treasure. So in your famine, if your routine is to sit around so God and God will do it for you, How's that working for you, right? That's the effectiveness question. How's that working for you? In your family, famine, you have to establish daily routines. You have to sow. Let me just say this. For those people who give nothing to kingdom work, expect nothing. If you sit in your house and never plant a seed, I don't care how hard you pray, I don't care how many intercessors you gather. You will receive no harvest. If you plant a little, you will receive a little harvest. If you sow generously, you reap a generous harvest. Let me tell you what most of us do with our seed. Uh, most of us consume our seed. Well, I work hard for this money. Let me go buy my true religion jeans. Let me go trade in my Ferrari for Lamborghini. And we consume our seed. Because after all, it's mine. I work for it. The devil is a liar. The scripture says in Psalm 24, no matter how hard you work for it, the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the earth and everything in it belongs to God. Not you. The land you work belongs to God. In fact, the building that you built you used 
Natural resources that came from the earth, God created. It ain't yours. It's God's. And you can, you can, so some people eat their seed. We earn it so we can consume it. And then we got to go back and earn some more so we can consume it. Mm. Oh, then there's some people who in fear sit on their seed. I'm going to earn it and I'm just going to sit on it. And I'm going to earn it and I'm going to sit on it. No matter how long you sit on it, that is all that seed will ever be. You can sit on a whole warehouse full of seed. And that's all it will be, a warehouse full of seed. But if you take that warehouse full of seed and you sow it, the harvest on what you've been sitting on exceeds your fear of losing what you have. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, this is not self-serving. It is not self-serving. I ain't trying to get you to do nothing you unwilling to do. That's between you and God. You can eat your seed and you can sit on your seed. What I can guarantee you is you will not receive a harvest. There is no harvest until the seed is sown. Jesus said, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. It will only be a seed that never fulfills its potential. I ain't begging nobody to do nothing. It's between you and God. In your famine, though, you better get on God's side of the equation. Because I guarantee you, no matter how much seed you have at the beginning of the famine... If all you do is eating that seed and sitting on it, it will run out. And guess what we do? Uh, Lord, um, can you give me a little bit more seed? Yet the Bible says that God gives seed to the sower. Not to the hoarder. Not to the consumer. He gives more seed to the person who says, I sow. And if God can get it through you, He's going to get it to you. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you. He gives seed to the sower. So who's God going to bless in the famine? Not the person sitting. Look, I see you. some of y'all just eat all your money. I see it on Facebook. You can't unfriend me. Eat all your money. Restaurants. Clothes. Cars. House. Kingdom zero. There is no harvest in your famine. I guarantee you. I don't care how much you pray. In fact, I've stopped praying for people who refuse to sow. I can't do nothing because you violate the principle. You don't put seed in the ground, there is no harvest. I don't care how much you dance, cry, your daily routine. Let me tell you about the seed you sow now. The seed you sow now is about the future. I'm telling you right now, break the routine of stinginess so you can have a harvest in your future. If you don't start now, in fact, I would even venture to say that the way, one of the ways you break the famine is you begin to sow. Sow your way out of it. 
Let me tell you what Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4 says. I'm about to wrap up, I promise you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4 from the New Living Translation. It says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If you watch every cloud, you will never harvest. For those of us who are waiting for perfect conditions, to start doing what God said, do now. If you're waiting for perfect conditions, let me, it ain't never going to happen. There's no such thing as perfect conditions. So why not start now? So number one, he had to break up the fallow ground. He had to sow. He had to physically put seed into dead, arid ground. Made no sense. Made no sense. God, I'm in the midst of a famine, and you're telling me to take my seed and put it in the ground? Yes. Here's the third and third thing. I promise you I'm about to wrap this thing up. Third thing, if, don't put it there yet. If there's a famine, there ain't no rain. There's a drought. So not only does he have to break up the fallow ground, not only does he have to seed all the ground, now I got to figure out how I'm going to irrigate this stuff. Well, where the water going to come from? I'm talking about daily routines in your famine. Do the work. God ain't going to, let me tell you something. God says, I will bless the work of your hands. Some of us think that work is a curse word. No, it's not. We have to give something to God to bless. He had to create a way to irrigate all this land in the midst of a famine. And typically what they did was just wells, man. So now I got to dig a well. I got to draw water. And I got to irrigate this land. What are your daily routines? Number four, he had to ignore the criticism and opposition of his enemies. I wish I had time to talk about this. Because I'm pretty sure that when Isaac was watering this dead, dry, arid ground, there were people who were laughing at him and saying he was crazy. Do you realize that the Wright brothers built an airplane in a bike shop? The airplane is bigger than the shop where they built it. And there are going to be people who are going to make fun of what God is speaking to you in your famine. Build it anyway. Let me tell you something about that too. Right, brothers. They weren't the first one with the idea. There were a whole bunch of people who had the idea before them. The only ones who persisted and saw it all the way through in spite of the opposition. In fact, I forget the other guy's name who was even, uh, uh, his, his funding was greater. He had more facilities, more money, and everything than the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers persisted. What are your daily routines? Because this is what I know. If you live by the, uh, the, the praise of men, you will die by their criticism. If the thing that fuels you is what people tell you, what they say against you will kill you. 
Number five, final thing, trust that God will bless your efforts. I'll put that verse on there. Uh, I think it's verse 12. So after he's doing all this thing and he's putting his shoulder to the grind in uh, Genesis 26, 12, I believe it is. Uh, no? This is what it said about Isaac. It said he began to prosper. Put it in the New King James, Genesis 6, 12. I'm 26, 12. Then Isaac sold in that land and reaped, listen to now, <laughs> in the same year, a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Go on, verse 13. Notice the progression. The man began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. In fact, he became so prosperous that the Philistines began to envy him. An entire nation envied one man blessed by God in the midst of a famine. That's what God is going to do for us. That's what God is going to do for our church. That's what God's going to do for you individually and for our church collectively. As we listen to what he has to say, as we trust his voice, as we develop daily disciplines in our famine. Come on, somebody. Abraham Lincoln, in his famine, ran for political office seven times, unsuccessfully. But you know what he said the whole time he was unsuccessful? Three things. I will study. I will prepare. My time will come. In your famine, daily routines. Cultivate, sow, irrigate. What was the last one? Something, something. And trust that God will bless your efforts. I close with this statement from D.L. Moody, uh, one of the most profound orators of the 19th and 20th centuries who just happened to be a dropout, middle school dropout, 13 years old, who went on to impact the world, and such giants in the kingdom as Billy Graham. D.L. Moody has one of the most notable universities in Chicago, the Moody Bible Institute, all through the life of a high school dropout. In fact, during Moody's life, it was said that he taught only children because he was ashamed of his lack of education. Yet he went on to change the world. Notice Moody's words. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man fully yielded to him. And I intend to be that man. I want you to hear that again. That the world has yet to see what God can do through a man or a woman who is fully yielded to him. And that's where most of us stop. This morning, God wants us to go a little bit further. And he wants us to say, I intend to be that man. I intend to be that woman. For the Bible declares that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
And God is looking for a man whose heart is loyal toward him that he might show himself strong on his behalf. God is going to do it for City Church. I don't know how we're going to get this building out of the ground. It's going to be about what we showed you was about, it's about 18 months in the future. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know it's going to, no, I do know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen by the hand of God. Because I, by the grace of God, fully intend to be fully yielded to God. And God will see, I mean, the world will see what is possible. What is possible through the lives of people who are fully yielded to him. And we intend to be those people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.